0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast.
1: And I'm Pete Wright, and I'm just trying to
0: podcast out of your shadow. (laughs) Today we are talking about Minute 46, which begins with Hutter noticing that Berlin is on the map, and ends with Steve asking the nurse if she's had enough. Joining us on the show today, it's Jessica Plummer, contributor to the Sword, Stone, and Table Anthology. Jessica, welcome back. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be back. Uh, we are thrilled to have you talking about uh, this week's Minutes. Uh, it's, a, it's a musical week, and I'm very much looking forward to getting into that with you. Yes. Before we do, however, we are still in the Hydra headquarters at Schmidt's Lab and... <laughs> And Hutter, we've got our three SS officers, Roter, Hutter, and Schneider. Hutter is the young one. He's looking at the map, and this, right at the beginning of the minute, um, he notices that uh, Berlin is on the map. Along with Dublin, London, Paris, Moscow, and Rome.
1: But apparently Poland's okay. (laughs) If you want to... Poland's (laughs) Poland's <laughs> off Hydra's radar.
0: I was wondering, and I want to know what you two think about this. Why just those specific spots? I mean, considering he seems to want to kind of take over the world, is it kind of a slow roll sort of thing he's going with? What, what Have you, you seen doing? that tank? It takes forever to get anywhere. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't
2: sound so much like strategic locations as name a bunch of european cities as quickly as you can
1: (laughs) well and i wonder on the timing and forgive me i feel like i've been if i i may have missed the strategic mapping minutes but i wonder on the timing if there's any sense to the nazis already have a hold in some of these places so we're just going to go find the cities that are going to offend hitler the most right now, right? Like that's the thing that we're gonna do, and those are gonna be the cities that that we think will do the the quickest immediate ego damage to the Fuhrer.
0: Oh I mean certainly Berlin <laughs> makes sense to that <laughs> to yeah. that respect. Right. Um um I mean Poland by this point I believe you know Germany kind of had Poland under its grasp. Um I mean Italy is interesting because of the relationship between uh, between the countries during World War Two, uh, I guess I can see why London and Dublin and Paris, maybe you know, I, I don't know. My, it's, it's kind of a strange amalgam. I don't know. I look at it and it's like <laughs> it seems like there are just so many cities on here. But I guess when you're thinking of European cities that you hear talked about a lot, I mean, that seems like
1: that seems like well, a, in the Soviet Union. I mean, in, in, Moscow, in terms yeah. of changing the balance of of power, yeah. the global balance of power. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, it might just
2: be. This movie's for Americans. They don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know
1: places. Right? We possibly. We're overthinking. Is that what you're saying? Because I would be shocked.
2: If we put Warsaw <laughs> on here, they're going to be so confused.
0: <laughs> I mean, I was surprised to that extent that the map's in German, you know? I mean, right. for all these Americans looking at this, I mean, I guess they're just like, they're lucky they recognize anything on this map. <laughs> oh, that's, that is pretty funny. Um, and I liked also that it looked like I couldn't tell if if Schmidt had like just uh, anger tacked in a bunch of things or if he'd kind of slid the map a few times because there's a bunch of terrors around some of the tack holes, which I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anger.
1: <laughs> he's a sloppy anger? tacker. His darts, some of those he found just with darts and then replaced <laughs> them later.
2: Maybe it's just places he's been and he didn't enjoy it. He's like, <laughs> I had terrible <laughs> service in Dublin. <laughs>
1: Taking them out. <laughs> <laughs> this is that's right. This is his Airbnb review map. <laughs> that's what he's doing. Oh, Jessica, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> we never would have noticed that. That spaghetti in Rome was the worst. <laughs> it was the worst. <laughs>
0: It's. I mean, it's very funny. I also like to think that maybe one of the first things Zola was working on when he's, he's so excited about all of the things that he gets to use the Tesseract energy for, it was a tack shooter that he was working on just <laughs> shooting tacks and things. Who needs to push them in? I just want a, I just want a Tesseract battery to do it.
2: I mean, that thing has a lot of dexterity, especially for the 40s. So, yeah, you could shoot tacks with it.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Why not? Well, and you can tell how satisfied he is. This is this is actually the the highlight of the minute that it is him clearly in target practice mode. Right. The look on his face, how satisfied he is when he makes contact and how grumpy he is when he has to do a shot a second time. That's
2: the best part.
0: <laughs> He's so good. He's so good. It is a it is a great minute. So yeah, I mean, t- to your point, so Huder makes this realization Berlin is a target. This is that point. When we talked about this last week, Pete, I know you are sick. Uh, but we were talking about the fate of these three SS officers. And at what point? I mean, <laughs> at, at what point did uh, Schmidt make his decision? These three aren't leaving here. And at what point do they realize oh, crap, we're not actually leaving here. Do do either of you have a read on this? I know neither of you were here last week, but what was, do you have a sense as to that moment? I mean, do you think that these three SS officers came here uh, to get weapons? And do you think there was a point where Schmidt was like, okay, I'm just going to give them a box of some stuff that we've been working on. It's not that great, but at least it'll get them off my back for a little while. Because, I mean, at this point, this is kind of all they have. It still is going to be a couple of years before we really see all of the stuff that the team has been building here at Hydra headquarters. Like It's going to take them a while to get it ready. So is it does it strike either of you strange that at this point, Schmidt says, ah, screw it. I'm just going to kill these three. And, uh, you know, we're just going to uh, take it as it rolls as far as what Hitler decides to do.
2: I mean, I think in terms of whether or not he planned to kill them he doesn't seem the kind of person to be like oh crap i left the math out like he and he loves the theatrics of everything so much that i feel like he's like yes you said your lines exactly the way i wanted you to like he's having a great time here and i mean i could be misremembering details of the movie but even if he doesn't have any everything totally ready It doesn't really seem to matter what Hitler does because he doesn't try to stop. Like they're they're only fighting the allies after this. Hitler doesn't seem to actually take any further steps against Hydra.
0: Well, that's a strange point because, um, yeah, I mean, it is a couple years before we really see Hydra in action. So, yeah, it's like, you know, is it just because he's so focused on the allies and he's just like, ah, those three, I didn't really care for them anyway. Hate Hooter
1: they were red shirts the moment they came into the bunker like i i think and i think you get it at second 2 in this minute when they say berlin's on this map well it's yeah it
0: was really the last minute and like i said neither of you were here but there's that point where where schneider says that you know he he, he you know he calls you red skull it's kind of like he's calling hitler out saying you know he calls you the red skull and that was the moment where where schmidt kind of turns and says oh yeah let me show you this stuff so it seemed like There was a turning point for him.
1: Well, I I think his motivation may have shifted, but I have the feeling those guys weren't ever going to leave. Okay, that's... I think think he wasn't... They weren't going to leave. It may have surprised him that they would be so, you know, uh, bold to use those words, to repeat those words in his presence. But I don't think they were ever going to (laughs) leave. I think he was ready to make a demonstration, which he's been rushing everybody along the whole time. Like, he's been rushing Zola. We got to... Throw the switch, turn the dial to 11, like uh, do all the things now. And this was just him putting a a fine point on that.
2: Yeah, this is a man who's got some cool toys that he's very excited to start playing with.
0: Yeah, yeah, he is ready. Whether it screws things up uh, as far as his plans um, fighting against Hitler or not, it definitely does. And, you know, it's one of those things. Politics. I'm sure he can say something to Hitler. They can send. I'd love to see the Hydra notes going back and forth to to Berlin. I, they didn't make it back. They we sent them on their way. You know, it must. Maybe they fell off. Uh, maybe there. You know, there was a, a train car that fell off, or you know, who knows what. <laughs>
2: those they're... darn allies got them. Hate yeah. those guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do enjoy how quickly the Hydra tech, who's standing or he's kind of working at the desk behind the three SS officers, like once. Schmidt kind of says his line about, like, uh, like, we like after Hooder says Berlin's on this map, and Schmidt's like, so it is. <laughs> and Hooder starts screaming at him. That HydraTech like, moves out of his seat, and gets out of the way so fast. It's like, he can see the writing on the wall. He's like, yeah, nope, nope. Yeah, I don't want b- backsplash. You have to watch <laughs> backsplash. And he knows.
2: Do you think he's seen people vaporized at this point?
0: Well, that's a good question. Okay, so do you think that these are the three first people the first victims of this tesseract energy
1: they had to test it
0: on animals
1: there i'm sure their hydra does animal testing i'm sure always it always starts with the animals (laughs) or fruit some sort of object that that would have demonstrated that there is backsplash to be concerned energetic backsplash
0: yeah and it's probably not like you know lab mice like they're a little too tiny to
1: to take target well this is not a precision weapon
2: also, Hydra's like super evil, so they were probably collecting like beloved pets and just like, what's the worst thing that they can do? Yeah,
1: yeah, p- definitely puppies, most adorable kittens. It's
0: it's awful. Yeah, it's awful to say. This is World War II. I I'm sure they were finding people to use it against. It's it's awful. Uh, to just suddenly go very dark with this uh, Marvel book. Yeah, I
1: was I was kind of okay with puppies and kittens, and then you took it in a just <laughs> I know. A very real I, direction. I went and,
0: way too real with this. Yeah. yeah, at least we know who's responsible. <laughs> at least we know the okay. So I was trying to I was doing some digging on this Tesseract cannon this uh, this Hydra cannon that he's come up with. It's so what it technically is. It's powered by a Tesseract battery. Which makes it sound like okay, so it's just it just you know has a lot of power, but it is shooting like this blue laser that vaporizes people. Uh, so I, I I don't know. I guess I'm a little uh, confused by it because you know I I think Marvel themselves they're confused by it. They're as far as their wiki goes, it just says it vaporizes people. So I'm like uh, okay, well. It's a battery, but somehow it also shoots tesseract energy that vaporizes people, and it still leaves scorch marks when, when rotor gets hit. The third guy to go on the door, yeah. yeah.
1: So, uh, but are those scorch? Those are scorch marks or rotor marks or rotor marks?
2: <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't on the wiki.
1: It feels like that's settled science. Someone should have figured that out.
0: Who who gets tasked with the job of cleaning the rotor marks off the door?
1: (laughs) I I am surprised. It is actually like, as you look at it right around second 23, I'm surprised it's not more rotor shaped. Like, it really is just a black stain. I want to see like the cartoon body shape uh, in the left in negative space. Do
2: you think Since this is maybe the first time that this was used, or at least to kill people, that like rotor marks are just what Hydra calls them now. Like, yeah, oh yeah, you got to clean up the lab; it's full of rotor marks. (laughs)
1: The rotor marks. (laughs) I wonder where that came from. (laughs) Ten years hence, right? I guess we'll never know. Guess we'll never know. uh rotors famous for something (laughs) legendary legendary rotor
0: but schneider i gotta say schneider he is the one who i was least expecting to be as nimble
1: as he is i mean he he dodges two shots he does he is the he gives us the grumpy face the schmidt grumpy face (laughs) he is he's quite uh limber and hutter seems like the one who would have been you know, you know what's going on here? Like, I'm looking at it and he does a full on Neo in the Matrix dodge. Yeah, that's like that's right insane. around second 15. He really does yeah. the full bullet time wow. to dodge this thing. That's crazy. I don't think I think it went by too fast the first time I watched it. He's quite
0: nimble. Yeah, He's, it's insane how, how good he is at dodging the, the things. It's like Captain America level bullet dodging.
1: Yeah, you might think this isn't a, a this. This would be out of some sort of science fiction fantasy film. <laughs>
0: And
2: presumably this energy is faster than a speeding bullet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the thing about, sh- about what, what's Schneider. Name? Sh- Schneider. Schneider. When he is finally vaporized, it's actually not so much vapor. There is what appears to be some sort of paper ash that falls from the sky uh, where he, where falls from the air where he was. It's like when you, when you light a uh, flash paper on fire, it's, it's kind of, yeah. and then, Little pieces of it kind of float from the air as they continue to incinerate, and that's very much what this looks like. Like there should be uh, a Schneider pile at the on the ground, rotor <laughs> marks and Schneider pile. <laughs> uh, so much for the cleanup crew. It is a great effect, though, and you get it—the rotor effect. It, it, you know, when because we get such a such a focused like push in on him as he's as he's screaming you get to to really see how the energy beam sort of works against his body and i think it looks great like it's just a it it is a piece of artistry to watch how he is sort of ripped apart
2: yeah it was also like these movies were so early in not just the mcu but the specific building of like the mythology around the tesseract and all that technology that it was like I don't know, I remember, like, this, this is all so fresh, like, five movies after this, you're like, all right, enough already, like, I don't care about glowing blue energy anymore, but here it was still very cool.
0: Yeah, it was at this point in time, for sure. Do either of you, when we see it, do, do you get a feel of that Nightcrawler bamf, how Nightcrawler does mm-hmm. that? Because that's what I always think of when I see these, the way it disintegrates. It feels like the of the same world. With less
1: scor- scorching and piling. Less scorching and piling, right.
0: I didn't,
2: but now that you mention that, like Marvel sure does have a lot of blue zappy stuff, don't they? <laughs> so many
1: beams, beams and cloudy
0: energy clouds. They love their blue. I think that's, that's really what we learned from all of this, is blue is Marvel's favorite color. Yep. Un- unless it's gold. <laughs> yeah. So I was, I was trying to figure out Zola's reaction to all of this. When they first got this thing working, Zola was so excited at all of the toys he was going to get to make and play with. And now that they're in this point where it's like he's kind of acting like a horrified and uh, a little surprised by all this. How do how do you two read Zola's reaction to this?
2: It could be that he, you know, it was all theoretical. Maybe they have only been testing on animals, and he hadn't seen it used against a human before. Maybe. It's just the the idea of seeing it used against Germans, maybe. I mean, I don't know how willfully naive we want to make him, but did he, I can't remember, did he know that Schmidt was planning on striking out on his own?
0: When they first uh, kind of come up with all this stuff, Schmidt's talking about, you know, taking over the world and everything. So, I mean, it seems like he has pretty big ambitions. And I don't know, I guess when you say taking over the world, can you read into that? at Hitler's side, yeah. or do you read into it on our own? And I guess that's maybe, mm-hmm. you know, the the interpretation of a line like that from Zola to
1: Schmidt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, are you going to start killing our own team? Right. Is, is what, you know, maybe on this face?
2: Yeah, I feel like there's a, like, that's pretty common for, like, evil henchmen to be like, yeah, this is great, I'm totally on board with this, and I know exactly what's going to happen. Oh, this is bad. Oh, oh. It turns out murder is not so great. And like, they never learn anything,
1: but. Well, and it, it feels like there are two kinds of henchmen, right? The the one is the henchman that does the dirty work themselves, right? It's the, the one who would go out and do the killing and, and the hiding of the bodies. The Bond henchman villains. Yeah. Right. Then there's the Zola henchman who is... Like a degree or more removed from the violence. Right. And I sort of get the feeling like he is he may be completely on board with the taking over the world, completely on board with taking over the world, you know, and at, at the expense of the Fuhrer. But to know that these tools are being used in his lab, mm. like where he works is, it, it sort of erases the the sort of plausible deniability. He knows violence is happening, but it never happens on his turf, and he's kind of okay with it. Yeah. And, and so this might just be his realization that, oh, right, evildoers, I need to check my watch again, because now I know what time it is.
2: I think he's also probably realizing how much personal danger he's in, because the weapon's built. Like, he might have be considered to have done his job and be expendable. And like mm-hmm. these guys, one of these guys can do bullet time and they still got killed.
1: Yeah. Right. Bullet time German.
2: <laughs> so doesn't matter what he can invent.
1: Totally. Yeah. That's,
0: that's actually a good point because you know, when, when Zola comes in to talk to Schmidt about the fact that they've found Erskine and he seems kind of concerned that Schmidt's planning on killing Erskine and, and wants to, you know, and he's, but he kind of goes along with it. Like, should I, should I, um, you know, put in the order and, and Schmidt's like, I, it, the order has already been given that whole thing where it starts seeming like Zola is being cut out of things that he expects Schmidt to allow him to do or ask him to do. Suddenly he's not. Yeah. I mean, it could be like maybe he's doing a head count right here of the hydratex saying, How many of these people actually know how to make more of these batteries? And should I kill them so that I'm the only one who knows how to kind of finish these batteries so that I can keep my job?
2: Yeah, because his whole arc in the movie is it's not it's a self-serving one. Like he does not seem to be acting for the good of humanity at any point. He wants to save his skin.
0: Yeah, and I mean, at first, like, he's just excited about getting to, you know, make all these toys and all the fun, fun, fun that he gets to do with his mad science. But it's hit this point where it's just like, yeah, he's suddenly like, huh, I don't know. I don't know uh, how, how this is going to turn out. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting position for him, especially at this point. This is all happening the same day that Kruger went to uh, kill Erskine, none of these people know if he has succeeded or if he has failed. I mean, I guess, you know, they're, they're Hydra, they're Nazis. They're assuming that everything's going to succeed. But still, they don't actually know yet. So as far as they know, there could be, you know, Kruger could have been caught and there could be dozens and dozens of super soldiers suddenly.
1: Yeah, right. That's uh, that's exactly right. I He's... Yeah, I think he's he's guarding his position. It it does. I I, right after this this moment, we have the uh, the show of allegiance, right where. He says, Hail Hydra, and then three guys in the back get both of their arms up so fast, so, so fast, that it's uh, it's almost comical. You know, I almost expect Schmidt to say, you guys settle down. It's all right. I know. <laughs> I know you're okay. That was too much. Too much. Uh, and But Zola, it, he actually... Uh, feels guarded and maybe uh, to me maybe a little bit panicked at you know the the level of allegiance he now wants to show to this new world order clearly this demonstration of power of of the power that he helped to architect uh was showing its uh, sort of burning edges for him he he wasn't able to to jump with both hands up um i think that's another just another beat of awareness for Zola to, to just stop and take stock of where he is. And we get to watch him make the decision. I need to be on team Schmidt right now. I can't be quite so self-serving because of the, the balance of power is shifted.
2: Yeah. I feel like it's such a stock, like world war two trope to have that one, like the characters who are like really enthusiastically hiling, And then the one character who's like, I, I, I don't know. I can't, all right, like it's, I don't know. i And I don't mean that in like a, like a dismissive way. I just feel like they use it very effectively here.
0: Right. And do you, cause yeah, I, I guess I, I get so torn with this character and, and where, I don't know, his, his character arc over the film and the franchise feels like he was much more like the, the typical version of a, of a villain's sidekick early in the film like that mad scientist and now suddenly it feels like he's developing a conscience and i guess i don't i I don't i struggle with the way that it ends up playing out in the film especially like after the salute well first of all when he says hail hydra he doesn't do the double arm salute Mm -hmm. and then after afterward (laughs) schmidt has that such smug satisfied look on his face as he kind of grins at him and walks away but then zola like he kind of uh kind of shrivels and he kind of like I don't know. It's it's kind of like this defeated look that he kind of has. He withers into the wall. It's I don't know. I I don't know if I'm just like reading too much into it, but it just I I I struggle with th- my thinking on this character and where he's going to go because it seems so much like they're setting up like this is a guy who's going to uh defect over to the allies is is just how I re- and I know he ends up with the allies, but it just seems like he's going to intentionally do it and that's just how
1: I I read it from the way he's playing it. This is where that seed is planted, though, right? They have to build con They have to use the trope of the yeah. the they they have to use the trope to sow the seeds of of discontent between uh, master and servant. Yeah,
0: I guess that's it. Uh, you know, it's really like it, it paints him as a guy who you know what I I'll be fine serving whoever is gonna you know pay the checks. Let me do my stuff and not kill
1: me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and the equally tropey is Schmidt's. You know. Dismissive uh, kind of response to it, like he's just thrilled with his demonstration of power and doesn't likely make any sort of connection that Zola is uncomfortable. He got a Hydra out of him, and that's all he needed. And the box is checked, and he can go on about his evil doing ways. Um, but but the other thing to that that I'm thinking is like Zola is not, uh, I, I guess he's not a, a Nazi, right? He's not an officer or a soldier. He's a a doctor and scientist, like he's not in uniform. And I wonder if some of that gives him the leeway not to do things like salute when expected to. If he were going to visit the Eagle's Nest, would he uniform up? Does he have a uniform or is he a civilian uh, um, employee of the Reich? Does that exist?
2: No, I think he's a civilian, but I don't know if that would give him a pass on saluting.
0: In the, and again, Marvel Wiki, who knows, it says, Dr. Zola was a Swiss-born scientist working for HYDRA before, during, and after World War II, originally employee of the Sturmabteilung, Sturmabteilung? Um, that is abbreviated SA, was a major paramilitary organization operating under Hitler and the Nazi party before World War II. Okay. So he had been part of them before he uh, ended up with HYDRA, is what it sounds like.
1: I think if he were if he were officially a Hydra like officer, he would be in the jackboots. But I think he I don't I don't think Hydra looks kindly on bow ties for <laughs> soldiers. That's my take.
2: Yeah, that's not part of the Hugo Boss look.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it sounds
0: like he went from the Sturmabteilung uh, before World War Two and then he actually became an SS officer all before he ended up getting recruited by Schmidt to join Hydra. And it sounds like at that point he was just a doctor. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting.
1: So then him just saying Hail Hydra is a demonstration of allegiance on behalf of him as a civilian that demonstrates a changing of the guard. Like this isn't, he is part of a different kind of movement that is not exclusively military. And that may be a point of interest. Yeah, right. For this scene, in terms of something that that changes.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it. It seems that there is that sense of him, you know, coming at this from that perspective, and really just doing what he needs to do. To as we were saying, just to kind of put on a show for for Schmidt, who um, is so cocky and arrogant that he doesn't notice that uh, that Zola is looking kind of panicked and and maybe not so well in all this i guess he can pass it off as a stomach bug right
2: yeah i don't get the sense that schmidt is great at emotional intelligence (laughs) (laughs) like strategy tactics yes feelings maybe not so much
1: yeah who moved his cheese he doesn't know (laughs) Uh, we were talking about movie tropes.
0: What do you two think of the? I mean, it's such a movie trope to have when one character is talking to another, not looking at them. <laughs> Schmidt delivers his whole thing and the Hale Hydra thing to Zola while he has his back to him. Um, obviously, it's designed so we can see both of their faces and make it look more cinematic. But I mean, <laughs> how does it play for you? Do you do you do you care when stuff like that happens? You like why don't they just turn around and talk to each other?
2: I mean, for him, like, again, it feels very in character. He's so smug and he's so, uh, like we said, not particularly interested in how other people feel that, yeah, like, it would be weird to me if Steve was talking to Peggy like that. But for these characters, I'm like, yeah, that's probably how they have all their conversations.
1: (laughs) This is, I feel like we could clock every minute that we talk about with Schmidt, The singular power move in his minute. And this is that one. This is his power move. It's like I can say things and it doesn't matter who I'm looking at because I am such a badass that you're and you fear me that my words will sink in no matter where my eyes are. Uh, my eyes are always looking at something more important than you. So uh, 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 that's that's what I get. And I love how he, he does turn to his first look is at the three uh, comical soldiers with their arms up. And then he looks at Zola with a and mm-hmm. kind of a look on his right. face. So uh, power move. I also...
0: Just love the fact that all of these other techs that are in the room, like they completely disappear when when he oh, yeah. as soon as he starts like fiddling around with the cannon, they all slowly kind of just go somewhere else. Like you can't even see them when all of the guys are getting killed. It makes me wonder, like, where were these guys hiding and how fast did they come out once they realized the coast was clear? Because <laughs> they are all ready. They're all set. At this yeah, they're point.
1: all in a hallway. The, um, like playing a rigorous game of not it about who's going to clean up the Schneider pile and the rotor residue. <laughs> the rotor marks, rotor marks, right. <laughs> um, real quick. This is
0: kind of, this is, you know, we get this Hydra salute, this double arm salute, and we haven't really talked a lot about the origins of Hydra. Um, they first appeared in strange tales. one thirty five back in August, 1965 created by Dick Ayers, Steve Ditko, Frank Giacoya, Jack Kirby, and Stan Lee. This was the period when they were all in very green outfits with a giant H on their chest, and they generally looked pretty silly. And I, I have to say, I appreciate the upgrade that they did with the all the the Hydra look in here. I mean, these guys—they're working a the lab; they're just wearing lab, like black lab coats. Uh, but still, in general. I like the way that the Hydra, just all the Hydra soldiers and everybody looks. What do you two think of of Hydra and the way, like, what, uh, what, do you, like, with the whole salute and everything? How did you two kind of read that as far as what they were doing with Hydra, as to kind of create this this new organization?
2: I almost wish they still looked super goofy, um, <laughs> and not like I understand why they don't. Like I understand that they like the whole point is to create a threat here, like what feels like a. a, a compelling threat that captain america has to fight like i get i get it and like making them silly would undermine the point of the movie but there's this really fantastic video on youtube by Lindsay ellis where she talks about mel brooks and the producers and like how do you talk about nazis and how do you put nazis in movies and not accidentally go wow, Nazis are really cool. And there is that sort of element of like, when they look really sleek and effective, even though you're saying, wow, this is bad. There's that subtext of looks pretty cool, though. But you don't have that in the producers, because they are ridiculed throughout. And it like so much of the Nazi propaganda machine was about being effective and cool and sleek and like i joked about it but having the hugo boss designed uniforms and when you don't allow them that power it undercuts the the whole philosophy of it like the ridicule is more effective than pointing out the evil and again i know that wouldn't make for a very effective superhero movie but there is always a part of me that's like i don't like i know hydra is not it's not exactly Nazis, but they're Nazis. And I'm like, I don't want them to look cool. I want them to look like jackasses because they were jackasses. But costuming wise, it's very effective.
1: Very effective. I, I think the the part that gets me and the part that makes me laugh at them uh, in spite of their Hugo Boss look <laughs> is the double fisted salute because it is such a comical exaggeration that feels to me like the conversation was, okay, we need something better than (laughs) than what Hitler did with the one arm. We need Two arms. That is one better. You know, it feels like that is such a ridiculous leveling up. That is that doesn't make sense at all. And they look so stupid doing it. Yeah. That it. To to my eye, it doesn't matter what they're wearing. It makes what they're wearing. It it just. Uh, it, you know. It, it it makes them look less cool. Like even what they're wearing can't make Hydra cool because they're doing this jackassery of a salute. <laughs> That's my that's my case that I will make. The salute is stupid. You just took it for me to probably
0: the perfect place for for them to go, which is to Muppets Most Wanted, when uh, Constantine (laughs) is singing with Ricky Gervais. And the whole song is, I'm number one, you're number two, we're criminals at large, but I'm at larger than you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Andy, that is exactly it. That is Hydra. They are larger than Hitler.
0: And actually, what also is in that song, which is going to be so perfect for Captain America next week, is in the line, he forces Ricky Gervais to dance, and he says, Dance, monkey, dance! It's oh, so perfect. No. I, I will never forget this comparison now. It's like, this is exactly what it is. Dance, monkey, dance. Yes.
1: Dance, monkey, dance. That's exactly what, what is going on right now. Oh, my gosh. They, and, and I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have a real sense of, um, you know, of, of why that salute stock here in the movie and why it looks so silly to me. Um, but I, I think the... The grounding in the reality of their uniforms um, that makes them look cool is the same sort of theory behind Captain America, who also looked ridiculous. At the time when Hydra looked ridiculous in the comics, so did Cap. He was absolutely uh, useless uh, character design and... um, and so I think grounding him in a more utilitarian uniform, but still noting he's Captain America, it, it, this feels like a balanced approach to design, to character design to me, that that they make, you know, the Hydra look cool and in some cases secret and, you know, do all those things. They still end up, you know, losing.
2: True. They do lose. <laughs>
1: If they looked so cool and they won occasionally, that would be a different story. Yeah, it's. I mean, they they
0: may lose, but it's not going to be for a long time. They're just going to kind of go in hiding. Gotta earn a it.
1: While. Yeah, yeah, they gotta earn their loss. Mm-hmm.
0: Now it it is interesting, and I do. I totally appreciate the 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 thought of like keep them looking silly. I think there's something to that. Um, and I I kind of I don't know. I I do think that there is something evil about the like the double fisted salute the way that they hold their arms up especially later in the film when you see like you know a whole air landing strip full of people like there's just there are so many people and it is a little off-putting but there is also something very i'm number one i'm your number two and i i like that about it it does feel like they are pushing it just you know slightly too far it just seems a little silly
1: It is a ridiculous airplane, by the way, like everything is so stupid giant in in Hydra that um, they just make the tank is too big. The tank is too
0: big. It's all an ego thing for him. Like the tank, you know, it takes forever for that thing to move because it's it's so big.
2: This is like this is in no way me comparing the state of Texas to Hydra but when i was in austin a few years ago a friend drove me past uh the state capitol building was like it's exactly the same as the one in dc but 50 feet higher and i was like yep texas
0: yep that's it (laughs) 50 feet higher (laughs) of course it is (laughs) of course it is All right. Well, uh, any last thoughts about uh, our time here at the Hydro Lab, or should we move on to the the start of our next scene? I'm ready for some Chris Evans. Yeah, I was going to say, and you get the sad Chris Evans here. This is like the most sullen Steve. Uh, I mean, I guess there's a lot that's gone on over the last day. I don't know. According to the Marvel Wiki, it's only been a day. According to the newspaper that we're actually going to see in the scene, it's two days later um but steve is uh you know he's he's bummed erskine's dead uh he didn't save the formula he didn't get a chance to kind of save kruger so they could you know interrogate him anything like that uh how okay we're coming into this scene this is the first time we've seen him since the day that he transformed uh and you know a lot has happened what's your read on him at this point jessica
2: i mean the first thing i think when i see him is god he looks so young
0: Like,
2: I mean, this was what, 11 years ago?
0: 2011.
2: Which, oh, oh God. Um, It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Life is passing me by. It's fine. Um, But yeah, I just, it's, I have such visceral memories of watching this movie and like seeing, and I think I probably talked about this when I did my Thor minutes, but like those movies coming out in the same year, feeling like this is changing superhero movies. Yeah. Like something really important is happening here, which is beside the point for this particular minute. But yeah, Chris Evans does very sad in a noble way. Really, really (laughs) well, which is probably all they asked him to do when he auditioned. They were like, can you look like you're carrying the weight of our failing country on your shoulders? And he was like, Oh boy, can I,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think he's great i think he's great at being sullen and being sad and i too i just want to take care of him i just feel like he needs a hug and clearly
0: our nurse thinks that too this is project rebirth nurse katherine press again who just cannot look away like she we come into this minute and she is just she's doing a paddington hard stare practically yeah, at Chris <laughs> <for> Evans <seven laughs> until she's finally like oh oh yeah i'm supposed to take this needle out of his arm
2: you know what she's valid she's <laughs> extremely valid
0: <laughs> <laughs> i see you nurse i see you <laughs> it is great it is great so she's taken uh this is the last of the vials of blood they now have 12 vials of of uh, Steve Rogers' blood in a little thing that will come into play more. Uh, are you an Agent Carter series fan, Jessica? Have you watched that show? Yep, I watched it. I, I I'm the only one here who hasn't. I don't know why I haven't. I just have a hard time with TV. But anyway, you two have. Uh, how much does this blood actually come into play in the show?
2: Oh God, you want me to remember? <laughs>
0: Well, I'm just like but it is it is a thing that they're dealing with trying to figure out what to do with it, right? I mean, that's kind of the
2: Yeah, I feel like I could it's been it's been years, but I feel like there's like it ends with Peggy having like the last vial and she lets it go rather than but she like drops it in the water so she she gets rid of it rather than allow this whole process to continue and it's all very emotional, but I could be making that <laughs> I think that's
1: what happened. I don't think you're making it up, but I do think there was some sort of a beam element at some point at the end. Something got destroyed in a beam. Well, Um, as we've established, they
2: love beams. Marble beams. (laughs) Yes, this (laughs) is why.
1: They feel like it's important we acknowledge Agent Carter had beams and uh, also they destroyed some things. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Isn't it funny though that like this is is Captain is uh, Captain America's blood central to Agent Carter? I remember so many things about the character interactions, about uh, Crutch Guy, about uh, their romance, which was awesome. And I remember so much about like the character interactions. <laughs> I don't remember much about the blood of Captain America. Like principally, what the show is about, I I don't have it. But I I think that's
2: what, I mean, that's kind of how TV works. Like, it has to work on the relationships because they've got to fill like 12 or 22 hours or however long it is. So, it really, I mean, I think I'm with you. I remember the character dynamics. I remember all these like fun little interactions with Jarvis and his wife.
1: Oh, Jarvis and so much misogyny she was dealing with. They really heavied up on the misogyny. Like, I remember all that. Yeah. But like Cat's blood, events? blood, I, I don't know. No, <laughs> no, no events. Well, I know not, she I hit not. somebody
2: in the face with a stapler, and it was great.
1: Yes, <laughs> that also happened.
2: You know what I am realizing about Steve in this moment? This is the first time all movie we've seen him wearing clothing that fits.
0: You're right. You're right. That's right. Yeah, he's because before got this, a, it was yep. three
2: t- sizes too big, and in the previous scene, it was
0: definitely too small. Way too small. <laughs> Those, those high-waters <laughs> pants that he was wearing and that uh, that T-shirt. That uh, I mean,
2: he kept buying T-shirts that size for the next 80 years, <laughs> and I'm right. glad that he did, but this shirt fits.
0: <laughs> this shirt definitely fits. Good point. Good point. All right. Well, any last thoughts on this minute, or should we wrap it up and we can start finishing this scene when we get back tomorrow? What do you think?
1: Yes. Yep.
0: All right. Well, everybody, remember you can uh, join our Discord community. You can learn more about that over at, at uh, marvelmovieminute dot Just click on the Discord link and join the conversation with other Marvel fans there. And uh, Jessica, remind or tell uh, tell all of our listeners about what you have been working on and where they should uh, find you on the socials.
2: So you can find my writing at Book Riot, where I'm a contributing editor, writing mostly about comics. And you can find me on Twitter at Jess underscore Plummer.
0: Fantastic. All right. Well, we will uh, be back tomorrow with Minute 47. And Pete, thanks as
1: always. You will be punished for your insolence.
0: (laughs) Until next time, true believers.
1: Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson This season's music is Spread the News by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show.